Thursday bitches I'm Purnima and we're in month 765 of the pandemic and cooped up does even begin to describe how we're feeling it's giving me well it's giving me new respect for the spaces i live in working playing and it also heightens my spidey sense for all the ways in which you know public spaces and urban spaces let me down which are many and i want to talk about it <laughs> and and i'm dinesia and if home is where the heart is why does it also feel like the kitchen is always on the bum of the house so you know this whole conversation started because we were talking to divya gopalan and she has been house hunting and she noticed a design flaw in the average indian home space and as you we were talking it really got us thinking and so let's start with her Divya Gopalan is a fantastic filmmaker. She's a new mum and she also designed our very cool logo, our Thursday Bitches logo. <laughs> Hi Divya. <laughs> Hi Divya. <laughs> so we were talking to her about stuff in general and Divya had something pretty interesting to say because she's been house hunting and she's noticed something. <laughs> so uh, we have a 1-year-old now, almost 1-year-old and clearly this house is too small. So we've been house hunting since I think September and I'm sure anyone who has looked for a house in Bombay is well aware that it's probably one of the most close to impossible things to undertake. So <laughs> the one thing that I've noticed, I mean even in the house that we're currently living in plus every house that we've a broker has shown us or we've seen pictures of okay the living room's great and yeah sure the bedrooms are big enough for bombay houses but the one thing i'm dreading to look at is the kitchen because yeah. it's just always the tiniest most cramped room in the house and it's surprising because i i mean i don't cook as much now with a baby but it's something i enjoy doing it's a, it's a de-stressing thing it's depressing to imagine cooking in such a small space and i just realized that i kind of feel like it's a sexist decision when it comes to planning the layout of a house because women spend most of their time in the kitchen and the house mm. help and i i think these decisions are taken by men and i feel like it, it doesn't really occur to them that you know it's not just a space where you just run in and make your meals and get out you need to have space you need to be able to enjoy being in there in bombay for sure I, i've almost given up like i told you jinisha I've, i've just like i've decided that i'm just not going to enjoy cooking anymore and i have to find <laughs> another hobby don't do that this is not going to work oh, no. <laughs> but tell me putima is this like Is yeah. it like that in Delhi as well? Because I, I, I'm totally with you, your Divya. I mean, we have turned down houses where my husband has looked at me like we are insane. But I'm like, I will not stand in the ass of this house cooking for an entire family because yeah, it just makes is, me feel like shit. Yeah, and this is something that there, there's this Lodha Park in uh, Lower Parel. Yeah. It's a fancy new, like they're five, six towers or whatever, and it's got great amenities. And otherwise, I mean, the ceiling height is okay, and you know the house, the rooms are okay, but the kitchen is tiny, and these are new constructions, so it has not improved. It has just deteriorated. The house I grew up in in Pune, actually, my parents sort of swapped the living room and the kitchen because my mom wanted a huge kitchen with the dining table in the kitchen, and we have a couch. And I have memories of like me waking up in the morning having coffee, and all of us just chilling. We would chill more in the kitchen than in the living room, and it's something now as I'm like growing up and. realizing is something that uh, it just doesn't exist now and it's just kitchen is just a get in get out scenario now so it's a bit sad mm. yeah, and, yeah and i i think it's not only same in other parts of the country including where i live but i think it's also the same across socio economic backgrounds because even people who have the money to buy a fairly decent sized apartment or flat will see this problem and in fact you know my mom who absolutely adores cooking it's it's her calming exercise because she has a pretty hectic professional life i remember that when we got our own house and when she was finally in control and and had some sort of power you know to determine her space the kitchen was the first thing that she worked on and she has continuously over the last two decades that i can recall just made it bigger airier smarter and a happier space where you know she enjoys her time in the kitchen and all of us can come in and, and sit and have a chat with her but she had to redesign it and spend a lot of effort and time and money to do that it didn't come with the house it's a mindset design problem so, for sure and it's our attitude to unpaid work or it's our attitude to work in general domestic work i think that's what 
you see, right? Absolutely. The living room is where you show off and it's really well done up and, you know, you've got your false ceiling and your statues of David or whatever it is people put in them. And the kitchen is almost an embarrassment. It's like you shouldn't be seen sweating or your help is definitely not to be seen. And it translates into other aspects of our life. And another thing is our building, which is has been in the talks of going into redevelopment for years. Women never attend these meetings like even if the houses are in their names their husbands or sons or whoever end up attending these meetings so a lot of decisions are just taken by the men and it, so it just seems quite natural actually and there was a one one time when someone said you know we should we should call our wives in for a meeting and someone else said yes because we need to take decisions on the kitchen so again it was only for the kitchen that we wanted the women to attend the meeting because clearly they don't have a say in the rest of the No, but, but that, that is our place. The kitchen is our place. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Then we, we should get a bigger place at least. <laughs> How dare we? <laughs> right. I mean, it, you, have, you have a design aspect to your work. And yeah. you have a really great eye with these sorts of things. Yeah. In your work as a filmmaker or where you go to like shoot or whatever, have you noticed this about... Even like places that are built to have multiple purposes, not necessarily homes. Have you noticed a certain inherent sexism in the way we design places for work and for play and for living? Yeah, like I, I have been to studios and some very, you know, old school buildings in town, etc. Where there are no women's loose at all, actually. There are only men who work in those buildings and there are only men's loose. Another thing, yeah, now that you mention it, I used to work at uh, Star at Channel V. So that yeah. was like a proper corporate setup. The one thing we women would fight with the guys about was the AC, the temperature, yeah. because it was always oh, way too cold for us. Was. <laughs> yeah, it, it was always too cold for us. And they'd be like, what? And I mean, and I think there was a survey. I mean, there was this whole study done and they figured that we're just built differently in that sense that women do feel colder or I don't know. Yeah. I mean, no, there is a inherent... We would just end up coming bundled in like layers. Yeah, it's like counterproductive to what the man's want also. Like, hello, darling. You want to see cleavage? You want to see goosebumps? You decide. Lady lumps or goosebumps? <laughs> Yeah, as you can see, Divya, this is a very serious podcast. We take everything damn scientific. Yeah, we're, we're all about the research and the data. <laughs> you know, anytime something is sexist or ignores the needs of women, I mean, there's always a connection to larger like social dynamics, and especially when you have conversations around the kitchen. I feel like the kitchen is one space where just the labor demands that different classes of people work together on the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also when you talk about hiding the woman away in the kitchen, it's also about hiding away who works with you in the home to build your home. And I know that definitely it's a class issue and it's a caste issue. So it's seriously messed up is what it is. (laughs) I mean, and, and of course, like, you know, once you step out of the home, there's going to be like a whole bunch of other systems that are just not designed to make life easy for us. Um, So I'm excited to have a conversation about that. I'm really excited to introduce our guest. Swati Janu is an architect, an artist, and someone who I think brings her values of social justice and equality into design thinking. I first became acquainted with Swati's work when she actually helped to create the interiors for one of the free libraries in Delhi, where I work. And from the get-go, there was this clear sense that this library space would be as open, warm and friendly, child-friendly as one might find in the most luxurious of settings, even though it was placed inside quite a congested and noisy and chaotic locality. And, you know, from the time you stepped into the space, you felt safe and you knew that there were going to be some fun times to be had, you know, with books. So since then, um, Swati has done, of course, a lot of very exciting work. Um, For example, reimagining how a makeshift school structure might look like for communities that have to, you know, relocate every so often. And she's often a part of the thinking that goes into urban planning and city planning. So I am so excited to have you on this episode, Swati. Welcome. Thanks, Purnima. Uh, It's really nice to be a part of this podcast. Thank you for inviting me. (laughs) Yes. 
<laughs> I've read somewhere that the moment you have more women in urban planning and the mo- and more women making these decisions, it becomes more equitable not just for women but even for the disabled. Like you look at our disabled access in any city, no one sees a disabled person on the road. Mm. You just don't see anyone in a wheelchair ever. The yeah. moment you shorten pavement so that more cars can be parked on the street means you're reducing a space where a wheelchair could go. Forget a pram. Ramp access is just seen as like a massive thing that somebody's done for you. Whereas there should be these spaces everywhere. I think women think about these things more because we work in these spaces and we are relied more on to make these decisions or to be care workers. So yeah, I think all architects need to be handicapped at some point in their lifetimes. All architects and planners, you know, need to go through, you know, what used to be called a disability. So I'll do it. I'll do it. Yeah, I also really despise architects, even though I'm one of them, <laughs> and planners as well. I was, uh, you know, handicapped uh, a few years back, you know, because of an injury. And oh my God, it just changed my perspective of how things need to be designed for the vulnerable. Because, you know, we're always designing our spaces, uh, public spaces, our, you know, interiors spaces for the you know for the fittest and a city today an Indian city is really a jungle you know where it is based on a survival of the fittest and that's why you don't see you know differently able people that's why you don't see people in wheelchairs because the city is just not conducive for them to move around I mean there's this friend of mine who was talking about his experience he's in a wheelchair he never gets uh, picked up by the bus drivers the DTC Mm. bus buses they don't stop uh, you know, now we have these low floor buses, you know, more recently yeah. in the past few years. And I mean, I guess they might let, you know, one one person on, you know, if, if the drivers, you know, in that sort of, a, you know, good mood. But uh, usually they don't stop. I mean, also, you know, the buses don't stop at bus stops, right? So basically right. you have to like run for your life and avoid, uh, you know, the, the sort of traffic or the car, which is trying to find its way, you know, between you and, and the bus because the bus is parked in the middle of the road. But why is this happening is because uh, the ticket revenue is, uh, is linked to their income. From what I understand, it's... It's like, you know, the more passengers they can take in the shorter amount of time, you know, the more revenue they can generate. And, you know, so they don't have time to get on this, uh, you know, person in a wheelchair who is going to take a few minutes trying to board the bus. And they skip these people deliberately. And I was so shocked to hear this. But this is pretty much the reality that, you know, many people have to go through. So they don't even go through it. And that's why you don't see people, you know, uh, who are differently abled uh, moving around because they don't have mobility. They are at home. They are being taken care of because they are, you know, seen then, you know, as as a sort of a burden because, well, you know, they, they can't they can't be independent. So there's a real life fallout of this. Like, you know, you're not, you're seen as less independent, then you're treated as, as, you're given less agency. So shitty urban planning can actually really affect the fabric of the society where it's shitty. You can be more sexist, you can have, you. we will not know how to handle somebody who is differently able or who has special needs. It becomes like a thing where you just have a a homogenous society. And also, I mean, the impact it would have on that individual, you know, who's thinking that the problem is with them because, uh, you know, they have a disability and not that the problem is with the system. Exactly. Um, And it's happened so much, you know, you see it everywhere where where people take on so much of the burden onto themselves and it impacts their sense of self because they can't navigate what everybody else seems to be able to navigate. It's hideous. Yeah. Yeah. This conversation was really interesting because, you know, one of the things I realized in the course of the work that I do with the library in Delhi is that sometimes things are held up to be far more difficult or challenging or expensive than they really are. And last year, I was in charge of researching ways in which we can make our library spaces, you know, disability friendly and worked with some amazing consultants who really brought it home for me. And one of the biggest takeaways was that it doesn't have to cost the heaven and the earth. We tend to have these notions of, like you said, Janesia, that, you know, oh, wow, you build a ramp and all of these expensive, you know, things like wheelchairs, motorized wheelchairs, and it becomes very daunting. And then most people don't even want to think about it. But you're not building a freaking Taj Mahal, you know, that's yeah. what I learned. And and sometimes it comes down to just shifting your perspective 
and thinking about this with a certain degree of sensitivity and openness. For example, what I learned for our spaces was that even if we didn't have the resources to buy the fancy wheelchairs and to build the ramps because we didn't own the building, so we didn't have permissions, what we could do was we could develop protocols by which our librarians and student leaders could assist someone with a disability. We had uh, workshops to sensitize our staff. We could assign helpers to a disabled person when they came in. So even if you start with that in terms of just planning, I think that helps. And then there are, of course, many other ways in which you can change a space to suit somebody's needs. But it's a pretty toxic mindset to say that creating inclusive spaces is expensive. You know, it's like that bullshit of like taxing sanitary napkins. What the fuck? Like, yeah. why are you taxing something that is just natural and normal? This word inclusivity, you know, really upsets me, to be honest, in this kind of situation. Because we live in these like ableist kind of jungles, all right? And there are so many things that I realize now that I've just walked through life, considering that I try to be a learning person all the time and everything, that I just it didn't occur to me. Like, for example, I met this uh, wheelchair activist. Her name is Virali Modi. You guys should mm. check her out on uh, Twitter. She's really a cool kid. And she's in her 20s and, you know, or maybe early 30s. And she told me, she was like, you know, when you don't see people when on, on wheelchairs in discos or at restaurants or in clubs, do you think it's because we don't want to go? And mm. my jaw just dropped because I realized that there are a whole bunch of kids who have these situations where you know they are uh, they have like accessibility issues and she told me that she worked with uh, the NH in NH7 weekend uh, uh, music festival and you know they were providing access and stuff like that but it shouldn't be seen as the favor you're doing somebody it should be part of your original budget you should not look at it and say oh this is expensive it should be the same thing as you provide a toilet you provide a lift you provide a banister you provide ramp and you provide access I mean I just think that it should be a basic thing and what that taught me was that when I step out of the house, I don't see people who have mobility issues, Yeah, especially in India, okay? You just don't see it. And what mm. happens is you consciously and subconsciously kind of imbibe this attitude that these people don't exist. I mean, you're not the kind of person who thinks that they don't exist. You still kind of don't see them and therefore they're out of, out of sight, out of mind sort of situation. And... If you ask me, this sort of attitude uh, manifests as our comfort or our feeling of safety or our feeling of belonging to a city. Like there, you only feel like you belong to a city when you can walk its streets and see its people. And that whole like thing about, you know, knowing each other on the sidewalk or just getting the vibe of a city. And even our everyday public spaces are not really built to facilitate those kind of like equitable interactions and Absolutely. it got me thinking about like you know when you walk on the streets of a city in Europe you know the sidewalks are huge right in a mm. lot of places the idea that you would have a pram and a wheelchair and a group of people on segways and you know those mobility scooters which I want one right now to be honest I mean I can't even wait till I'm older you know with a big bag <laughs> for my I'm shit I'm google this yeah. immediately <laughs> Mobility scooters are beautiful. And that adds to your sense of safety because what happens is more people and more different kinds of people are on that same street. And this is what we are going to get into a conversation now with Swati about what she calls eyes on the street. Like what makes you feel safe and accepted when you're in a public space? You know, other cities have the kind of population density that we do. You could get into a very crowded train in London or in Tokyo. How does failed urban planning or sexist urban planning result in sexual harassment of women? Well, the thing is, you know, I've, I've been also harassed in, you know, London and Paris and India. So I, I think sexual harassment definitely varies from society to society and, you know, culture to culture. But I think, you know, it's, it's more than just that. I think it happens uh, everywhere, first of all, all over the world. The sort of intensity and, you know, frequency, you know, varies because of access to different facilities and public awareness and, well, gen you know, different levels of uh, uh, sexual but you know in Paris if you're walking down a dim lit uh, you know deserted sort of a lane the chances of you being assaulted there are you know as high as you being assaulted in Delhi I mean so how does urban planning solve that issue should access ways be thought of more intuitively so that women's commutes around the city are easier how would you do that for Delhi or for Bombay like if you had like a dream run like you could just do what you wanted 
Oh, I wish. Okay, yeah, but yeah, I think uh, if the streets were better lit, I think that's a you know big sort of a plus for safety. There are so many things that can be done. At the same time, I think we have to also uh, be very cautious uh, when we approach this uh, you know aspect of safety because again, a few years back, and I think this is a bit more recent, we were talking about how Delhi can be made safe. You know, uh, after the uh, notorious uh, rape case, uh, which we all uh, you know protesting against, there were many suggestions, and one of them was also increasing surveillance and you know Correct. putting a lot of CCTV cameras around the city, and I think that's not really the solution because you know you should feel comfortable, you should feel um, safe walking on the street. Uh, it should not be because there is surveillance. Surveillance also leads to other sort of problems when there is um, when there is like too much surveillance from the state. Absolutely. Right? I'll give you an example. For instance, uh, you know we also talk about uh, eyes on the street, right? So if you if you're talking about American planning, then there was uh, this very well-known writer called Jane Jacobs. Who, oh yeah, she's yes, yeah, she's like the great proponent of the sidewalk. Favorite. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of love her yeah <laughs> yeah I think every woman would because and she wasn't really a planner but you know she really inf heavily influenced American planning which was very car centric very you know sort of male driven and she was talking about how it's really important to have eyes on the street and yeah. for me I, fi I find it the most comfortable walking down the street at night when there are vendors huh? when there are markets yes. when there are you know people walking around and so I think it's as simple as that and you know, your eyes on the street are your surveillance uh, you know cameras you don't need these CCTV cameras you need people who are going to make sure that you're safe. Uh, and I think anytime I've been in, in a space where there are people around, I mean, as long as it's not crowded and, you know, I, I, then I feel threatened that I might be groped. Uh, but as you know, whenever there are people around, then I feel safe. You you are out on, you know, some sort of neighborhood streets at 10 p.m. at night, sometimes yeah. even midnight. You feel safe. You're in India Gate, uh, you know, that whole area. It's so public. You feel safe. But the moment you're walking down a deserted street, you are going to, un you know, feel unsafe. And if there's a CCTV camera there, I don't think that's an ideal solution to solve the problem. Yeah, yeah I also actually foresee like a whole bunch of people using that footage to make the woman's life miserable. Also, I don't see any good coming out of that. Also, it's, uh, CCTV cameras are a post-fact thing. They're a post-crime thing. Eyes on the street, stop whatever might happen right there and then, right? You ask somebody exactly. for help right there and then. Whereas uh, CCTV almost is telling you, listen, after you get killed, now, don't worry, we'll find the guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, sometimes CCTVs can be deterrent because, you know, they're like... Uh, someone saying oh if there's a camera here I'm going to be caught so let me not do it but you know that's not the reason why you shouldn't assault a woman that you will get caught <laughs> I, I'm really like fixated on how Swati has said that she's been harassed in so many parts of the first world like yay for globalization <laughs> You know, if only we could harness this global solidarity so that everyone on the planet could get equal access to the COVID vaccine, we'd be sad. Come on. Oh my God, your tone of voice and what you're saying is freaking me out, Purnima. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so jokes apart, it, it strikes me, you know, from, from what Swati said, that it's not just that male-dominated urban planning committees ignore women. But I think it's a little bit more insidious because uh, when it comes to the patriarchy, I feel like moral policing and urban planning are convenient bedfellows, you know, and they feed off of each other to make sure that virtually everyone who's not them and who's not a bro dude or an uncle, <laughs> sorry, uncles, mm -hmm. stays, you know, stays in their place. And it's really, really bad because in many parts of this fabulous country that we live in, including the big cities, a woman can't even like poop in peace without the fear of being raped and murdered. You know, that's how much the patriarchy surveils us in public places. We need to look at the flip side of this CCTV will solve everything uh, belief. Actually, you know, there are countries in the world, like Singapore famously is almost entirely covered with CCTV cameras and it gives everybody a lot of peace of mind. You know, children who get on the bus and travel to school at nine and eight. And I couldn't think of doing that in even in Bombay, where I live. But the thing is that, you know, it's really complicated because, you know, you have to have a society also that is uh, rule abiding. You have to have uh, a government that creates really good policies and then you have to follow up those policies with uh, execution of, you know, policing and stuff like that. So I don't think that these things really solve anything in India because, you know, we're all over the place. Like, you know, do Swati's thing about eyes on the street. I really agree with her. Like, you know, the more number of people on the street, the safer you feel. But in my neighborhood, for example, okay, in a couple of areas, which were traditionally not 
very heavily congested with hawkers. What has happened is there's been a kind of unofficial, maybe illegal kind of nexus between these hawker guys and our municipality. And what has happened is we have a lot of hawkers now. Like where there were one, there are now 200. And those guys are all male. Purnima. So mm. the same hawker who I had seen selling bhaji for 20 years of my life, like, you know, I walked down from school, then I walked down from college, then I walked down from work. It was the same uncle getting older. He knew me, I knew him. Now you have these hordes of guys and they're all male. And it's, mm. it skews your visual, you know, gender ratio. What happens is you just got these faceless guys who are selling you stuff and they walk up to you and they'll say something that is borderline offensive. What happens then is you kind of freak out because these public spaces now you feel are being overrun by these strangers, these anonymous men, Mm. you know. And like, I don't know what the solution is, but I'll tell you what everyone in my suburb right now thinks the solution is. They want to gate communities. They want to gate neighborhoods. I've said it before jokingly that I would like to drive a wall around I'm not even sure what parts of the area I live in. But I know it's not a solution. It's a stupid thing to say. Yeah, I know that's a stupid thing to say because I <laughs> live in one. So, <laughs> in fact, I mean, we had, a, we had a conversation about this when we were chatting with Swati. So maybe this is a great time to go into that. You know, this Jane Jacobs had this fantastic thing where she talked about the sidewalk as a microcosm for the whole city. And, you know, the sort of things you learn, like a child walking on a sidewalk with his or her mom would learn about casual, friendly interactions, the kindness of strangers sort of thing that, you know, you see somebody who needs help or, you know, you say you say hello to someone with, with no strings attached. These sort of yeah. like very subtle social interactions which actually make a healthy city. And the same thing about vendors and everything, different representatives of your society from different tranches, all being in this equal space. It's not like expensive, like a mall. So there's that lovely thing. But I feel we've had these things naturally in India for a long time and we are losing them. I find like neighborhoods in my uh, city want to gate themselves, like Pali Hill wants to gate itself. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also want to make special mention of gated colonies. I find them so evil. I live inside oh. one, by the way. So I'm talking, speaking from inside. I'm part of the problem. <laughs> no, but it's true. I mean, I live inside and I uh, have all the benefits of living quote-unquote benefits of living in the gated community but especially now you know in the pandemic I've seen how the gatedness of this community has led to really obnoxious human behavior and it's allowed people to treat other groups of people very very poorly um, using the excuse of of the pandemic which is to police the entrances and to force people into taking COVID tests Uh, if they need to enter the colony. So if somebody is a domestic employee inside the colony, they can't come in if they haven't had, if they don't uh, take the COVID test. And they have no agency because, you know, their livelihood depends on it. A, the suggestion that people inside the gated community cannot have COVID is just detestable and, of course, highly moronic. But they have used the gatedness of our living community to actually commit violence, you know, on another community. And I think um, that's really on the rise. It's a casteist thing, right? It's just... Absolutely, class, class, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's usually women who will face the brunt of it because women will enter the uh, colonies to work in the houses or to do other stuff. And it's basically you've got a bunch of faceless security guards who are treating them like shit. So if I may, Janisya, may I continue this gated community rant? Because because there, there's a point to be made here. In gated communities, there are these RWAs, right? The Resident Welfare Associations, which at least yeah. in Delhi, I don't know how it is where um, you are and where our listeners are. But these are largely like caste oppressing upper class right wing majorities. And there's a certain horse with blinders mentality they have in that they don't know how to think for the collective. I'm not even talking about other people who are not like them. They don't even know how to think about their neighbor. It's that is the mentality. So if one uncle wants to extend his ground floor flats garden, then bully for our kids because they just lost their public park. You know, they can just go fuck off because uncle is RWA president. Or how there's not a single kiosk or a drinking water or toilet options for, you know, the hundreds of daily wage workers or domestic workers, delivery people who come in uh, to our areas. They go from flat to flat. They basically keep 
us afloat so imagine if you are you know on your period and the place where you work the boss is an asshole who won't let you use the toilet and there's nothing in a 2 kilometer radius that is designed for you how miserable is that person's life and like don't even get me started on lift fascism oh my you know, god what is fascism. with the lift fascism it's like lift apartheid it is disgusting on the next level there are people in my building and i hope like she can hear me right now cuz i'm recording this right next to my front door but she will allow <laughs> her dog to take the lift and she will not allow construction workers or domestic help to take the lift i mean who gets to use the lift to go to the 7th floor and who doesn't that has become an issue in these gated communities so that's no kind of urban design or urban planning at all it's just determined by egos of a few people also they some in some buildings they have two lifts they have the posh lift and then they've got the the working like the people who are the vendors and all they have that lift yeah and bombay you know, today, is very sophisticated i've seen yeah, yeah, we think about everything <laughs> Yeah, the posh lift now will be closed, and all you can think of is dying in that lift when the door closes. And the unprivileged people's lift will have those ancient gates, and you know, if you play a more tacky tune, and those are the lifts I always use because I'm slightly claustrophobic. With the creaky grill, no. So in a lot of these redevelopment sort of uh, situations in Bombay, what the builders do is they they take the original he- residents and then they make these really posh flats, and then they sell them to like more. or oh, up up scale people or whatever at up scale prices so in one of these buildings that uh, we know of <laughs> the builder said oh acha all the old residents will use one set of lifts and all the new residents will have speed lifts that go up to their duplexes or whatever and you know this is like quite a posh neighborhood <laughs> bombay <laughs> you should have seen those guys faces because these are the same dogs who would like their maids and their vendors and their house help and their staff to travel you know magically up without getting into the whatever their spaces and then suddenly they were being treated like you know that and i'm telling you something in my heart leapt for joy i was like yeah <laughs> karma is a bitch and she will come for you <laughs> karma is cute man <laughs> Yeah so I have a question what does a typical urban planning meeting or committee look like because I am just picturing a whole bunch of grey haired uncle jees leaned back in their chairs because their paunch is so big they they can't sit properly <laughs> <laughs> so realistically who's doing the planning uh, that's exactly the problem so there are i mean there are always men i mean talk so much about the paunch because i think you know <laughs> after a yeah certain age i think it happens to the best of us it's quite enduring actually you know i think paunch uncles and aunties and i think I, uh, we are now also a part of them and i've been to a lot of these sort of you know panel discussions and a lot of these sort of boardroom meetings or consultations where i find myself not just you know the only woman but also like the youngest and actually it always gives me a kick to kind of you know to mention that you know why don't you have more women and do you notice that i'm the only woman or you know one of the only two women and also like the youngest so you need to do something or i think uh, that's always important to call out at every level all the time and i think many men have started doing that as well mm. when it comes to panel discussions i have a few male friends who started saying that we will not participate in a you know panel and you know till you make sure there's like 50% wow. representation at least but uh, coming back to what you were saying, Uh, yes, definitely. I think it's all about who's making the decisions. Uh, where does the power lie? I think that dictates uh, the kind of you know cities we are building and who we are building them for. So, of course, naturally, I've never been on a panel. but i have been in places where these committee meetings have been for like you know again the building residents society you know and when our building was coming down we had a garden with 30 trees two snakes several you know families of birds <laughs> that had lived there so at the meeting it was all about you know they were like carpet area high built built up area bloody blah so at some point of time i told them you know what about the trees <laughs> <laughs> what you know yeah yeah trees so was, yeah like trees trees what do you say what are the language so anyway you know we have a head patriarch i hope you're listening to this i hate you he turned around and he was like don't worry janasya we will take the trees and we will plant them somewhere else and you know he he just looked at my face and he lied okay then some three months later i had some other issue okay and my issues i was the only one who was bringing up these things but you know i'd be like oh yeah but this will ruin the view you know the light will not come in properly from this side oh you can't do this at a meeting dude where there are like hajar people there he tells my husband your wife is never happy 
I was like, what? Next, you're going to call me frigid or something. Like, bitch, you know, what's wrong with you? Like, I'm not happy because you stupid man. All you think about is how much it is per square foot. That's it. We don't realize it until we're like crying on the inside. But the reason everything feels so frustrating when you step out of the door is because men have put it together. Whether it's your ease of passage or whether you are feeling safe or whether something is easy to access or not easy to access. Like, for example, the whole Paiwat conversation we had with Swati. In Bandra, where I live, because my family's been here for hundreds of years, there are these things called the Paiwat, which is a common path. I don't know if you're familiar with this law of the commons idea, that the public has a right to commute from one place to another with the maximum ease and along these paths right. that are like that predate the BMC and predate municipality records. So what happens is if you're on the top of Pali Hill, for example, there are five or six little pivots that traditionally would take you down to Cart Road, which is not a very long way, but it would cut your route through where you won't have to encounter traffic, especially if you have children. And, you know, we have schools all over the suburb. What people have done over the last few years is shut those pivots down so that now the modern generation doesn't even know they exist. And this is, for me, extremely male because men have never used those pivots traditionally. It's been women mm. going to the bazaar, going to, the, going to work, picking up their children. And overnight now, you're walking down with your kids through traffic. What it does to me is that it makes me feel very angry and tired at the end of the day. Navigating bad urban planning does affect us emotionally and personally. And uh, I don't know, Swati, whether, you know, in New York, they had that broken win windows theory that if a neighborhood looks run down or if it looks neglected, crime rises and all. And I know that then after that, they realized that it was very complicated. But I think when you look at a neighborhood that prioritizes cars, like they're, they're ripping up pavements in my suburb. What it ends up doing is that as women, you just feel more kind of cloistered and constantly on edge and constantly fighting against the city. I feel like more women in urban planning would probably ease that in 10 years. So I think that's a that's an incredible um, example because you see what is also happening there is a sort of a rupture of the social and the spatial networks, you know, which were connecting us, right? Yeah. And I think that is, that is also very important because, you know, the more sort of distanced we are from each other, the, the more we are sort of losing out on, you know, safety or, you know, that safety net, you know, in case, in case we find ourselves, you know, in a vulnerable uh, situation. And it's definitely, it's very important to be connected uh, you know simply because of that i mean we start uh, thinking about uh, you know what are the kind of safe spaces uh, that that you know we are able to inhabit or that we have access to and i think uh, and now i'm talking like an architect now but you know it's important to think about a city in terms of these networks and spaces and of nodes course which also, um, you know, intersect with the social networks, you know, sort of spatial networks are very much linked with, you know, our sort of social and economic networks as well. And I think the rupture of that is, uh, I think, uh, very well sort of depicted in the example that you gave us, Janicea. I feel so clever. <laughs> I don't feel that clever because, you know, as I was listening to Swati speak, I could only think of all the bitchy things we have to hear about our women's reserved seats on buses and trains and how much men whine about stuff like that and what they've lost. Meanwhile, there are all these losses that other genders experience on a daily basis that go completely unacknowledged and unnoticed. In fact, I read like a really fantastic speech piece in uh, scroll today it's by Annie Zedi the writer Annie Zedi and it's about you know lit fests and art fests actually it's called why do the rich and powerful sponsor literature festivals prizes and art in today's world but there's a bit where she does talk about the urban spaces we occupy and she talks about the horrific horrific experience of being desperate and looking for a loo and then she finds one finally it's a public loo and it's a cesspool of literal poo you know and she writes very very beautifully as only she can about this kind of experience so I'll just read out a tiny bit and I highly recommend that everybody goes back to scroll and finds this article so she says Grief, however, came blanketed in rage and on its heels came clarity. The city was meant for the wealthy. No matter who said otherwise, it didn't belong to the people. The city belonged to people who could sashay into fancy cafes and hotels as if they owned the place. And those who actually did. It belonged to men more than it did to women. Because men used the city's open spaces as their fief and their urinal. It belonged to officials who decided whether or not bathrooms should be built or locked 
or opened at what hours oh. and you know i mean as i was reading it it reminded me of that uh, margaret atwood quote you know men are worried that women will laugh at them and women are worried that men will kill them yeah and when it comes to public transport and public spaces you know men are worried about things like they won't get a seat on the bus but women are worried about assault that's the difference which i wish more more men would think about that when they're busy whining about how they didn't get a seat on the bus when we talk about the experience of uh, moving around in the city many many things come to mind so i'll try to unravel them a bit i think public transport is one thing where women find ourselves really uncomfortable in i, I don't know any female friend of mine who has grown up without you know having been sexually uh, assaulted been you know abused on public transport or just traveling around right so yeah. uh, i think all of our teenagers formed of these experiences you know you are in a packed bus you know you're in a packed train and you know you're going to be felt up or you know worse things it's just it's it's almost like you just take it for granted and i think you know then um, being able to buy a car is something you know that we just have to opt for and and of course so many people don't have um, access to that also i think one example comes to mind in terms of you know how the city is not designed for women is in access to basic facilities so i think this was like 10 years back the delhi government was trying to introduce uh, female bus drivers for the dtc I buses this, and yeah. you remember this time and so at that time it didn't really work out i mean there were many reasons but the single biggest reason was uh, the lack of uh, public toilets for women on the way there were lots of urinals for men or uh, a wall you could need the urinals they just go anywhere exactly but also there are many more uh, toilets and urinals for men and i think this has changed now over the last few years you know especially with like you know the recent sort of governance but uh, mm-hmm. 10 years back this was quite problematic i mean of course apart from the stigmatization associated with oh you're a woman and you're going to be driving us around and you know so many issues there you know societal uh, perceptions but you know just the fact that you couldn't uh, get down and you know use a toilet was what was deterring a lot of women from taking up this job so mm-hmm. i think that's the first sort of thing that comes to mind if we could just imagine what the world would look like if we had women everywhere you know especially in the transport sector like women bus drivers and auto drivers and taxi drivers and in fact like i have to tell you this the biggest thrill of my life in this city was you know walking up to the metro platform and the women's bogey the women's coach is always next to the driver i looked in through the window and it was a woman and i had never seen a woman drive a metro train it was the most amazing visual i've ever had i mean she looked so badass and of course you know all our metro stations have super pub toilet facilities so now listening to swati you kind of connect the dots and we have now a lot of women uh, drivers on the metro i i think the moral of the story is like don't just go watch trashy akshay kumar films about toilets you know really think deeply about how public spaces and how they're designed can literally shift what you see in these public spaces who comes out to work and how social spaces function that's exactly it time and time again we come to the same place at the moment something is equitable it doesn't just improve for women it improves society for example there's a wage gap of course and you know women are dropping out of the workforce because of this wage gap amongst other reasons and one of the big factors in the gender wage gap situation is that commute impacts the kind of jobs you take if you feel that you can't commute a very long distance because it takes you away from your household chores for example you're likely to take up a job that's lower paying but it's closer it's more convenient and this also works for safety like if you have to take a dangerous commute to the best paying job you're not going to do it you are not going to take those risks because you don't have child care or it is the fact that your children are at home but the social system is built the urban planning is built in such a way that they are under threat as well so this entire thing affects every single aspect of our lives whether we are peeing or we are going to like cash in a check for yeah. ourselves i don't think it's a choice anymore i don't think we need to be start we need to be yelling on the road every day saying this fucking pavement is too small i need a clean woman's loo we have to be raising the kind of stink that you get from the average male toilet you know maybe that's what we need to do amen sister <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. I love yelling. <laughs> yeah, we've just like hydrate less ladies as a protest. <laughs> If you are Genesis children, don't pay attention to this. All the health tips from mummy today. <laughs> So you know we've talked about safety and we've talked about who feels empowered walking through urban spaces 
And I also think that we need to talk about beauty. I mean, you talked about it a little bit when you dared to mention trees. <laughs> But the aesthetics, you know, the beauty of the space you occupy, the air that you breathe, all of this matters. And somehow, again, there are very terrible prejudices when it comes to imagining who gets to have beautiful spaces around them. So I think like, you know, Swati spoke about that. It was a very interesting conversation. We should totally get into that sometimes i get the feeling that especially because india is at one level such a divided population right in terms of the number of people who don't get certain things because of where they are placed on the gender spectrum or where they are placed on the caste and class uh, spectrum but sometimes i feel like we don't have absolutely thoughtful and wonderful planning systems because we feel that those things are reserved for the privileged swati you know this in the early days of thinking about design for the free library in delhi at the community library project there was a lot of thought that went into it in terms of the lighting and the materials and the openness of the space and the ease by which children would be able to access the shelves and other spaces a lot of thought went into making it bright and happy and shiny and child friendly and after the design was made and the kids loved it and all of that a lot of the adult population that came in from the more privileged communities who came into perhaps volunteer people like you know you and i they would always comment with such surprise oh we didn't expect this place to be so beautiful because i think the mindset was that it's good enough that you have this building with books in it why do you need to make it beautiful to make it bright and airy and have like all of these like you know child friendly colors and why do you need to think so deeply about design and i see that kind of thinking across the board especially when it comes to you know spaces which are reserved for women especially women from oppressed communities it's almost as if you're getting the bare minimum now why do you want to aspire for more why do you don't deserve more and i think that's why we have so much ugliness and lack of thought also even in our urban spaces uh, yeah absolutely like you said it's basically about basic facilities and you know anything anything which is better than that i guess people don't expect it and so design especially is you know kind of looked at as only the domain of you know the privileged people who can mm. afford sort of design services or you know but actually a well designed space is simply what you said it's just you know enough light and ventilation and that's it so um, yeah i guess um, there you're bang on about maybe what's missing but i think ugliness has to do yeah i think well, there are many different reasons as well i think ugliness is also like in trying to be new york uh, you know mm. i think gurgaon is very ugly <laughs> i think the sort of buildings in, uh, in 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 delhi are basically like you know the sort of using the most expensive sort of materials um so yeah i think that aspect is also there There's like a meanness of spirit when they're doing this, you know. Yes. I can imagine them trying to maximize profits. Like you see that in slum rehabilitation projects in Bombay. These guys they completely ignore the fact that there is a whole society that works over there in you know looking into each other's houses all day, talking to each other. They build these huge things. You cannot take a community that lives on the ground and then raise them up thirty floors and not promise that the lifts are always going to work and that the lights in the stairwells are always going to work and there's going to be a proper ventilation. They'll build these buildings so close to each other, so there cannot be a proper ventilation. That yeah. causing families to fall sick and then you know deal with these health issues. That's yeah. everything. Like how urban planning affect our individual lives and in our in in our individual homes. I was just telling Purnima like. Like, you know you read bombay has the smallest houses in the whole country and we have decreased by 27% apparently in the last few years uh, the yeah. average apartment size what happens is you end up making these horrible choices you are like okay i need to rent a really shitty place but it's close to town where i'm doing this ridiculous two hour commute Okay, mm-hmm. so you're making all these compromises, but actually, what happens is you live in your horrible house. It has poor ventilation. We started this uh, episode talking to somebody who was horrified by how kitchens seem to have become smaller and smaller and smaller in every apartment she's looking at, and. it's kind of a meanness of spirit maximizing profit sort of thing as an architect swati what have you seen like in just individual house design how does that reflect how we are thinking about urban spaces as well or not thinking about them actually um uh, rather than meanness i would say it's indifference i mean i i, I like to think that people are not really mean <laughs> i like to think that it's basically that 
that they don't care or you know it's just not you know in their sort of what do we say like field of view so answering i think uh, one of the previous questions you had asked about anxiety and urban planning i think the example you've given about slum rehabilitation projects in in mumbai i think answers that question very well which is that if you are designing sort of these blocks these towers so close to each other with no light and ventilation of course is going to make you feel you know mentally unhealthy as well it's going to you know increase anxiety especially if you're like stuck in traffic or you know there is just so violent the sort of uh, streets that we have to navigate on a daily basis with that sort of you know noise pollution and now well also yeah. air pollution on top of it you are living in these sort of cramped spaces uh, you know, with so with hardly any space in between uh, homes Uh, you know even if you're in a public space uh, where you know there's all concrete around and hardly any green spaces i think all of these are to um, our mental well-being as well so yeah i think that that is a problem um when we first thought about doing this episode i was quite lost because although i've experienced my surroundings in a certain way and i've also thought about them in a certain way it's never been at the front of my consciousness i've never paid attention to it enough everyone always accuses me of being in a bad mood all the time and i've blamed it on many things like you know oh my god am i hormonal oh my god whatever but the fact is it's so tough to navigate the city like why are you always in a good mood on holiday you are paying usually in forex it should yeah. be bleeding you you should be having a really shit time drinking that coffee with your view of the sen kim and kanye <laughs> the thing is the thing is that when you walk out on the street and um, car stops because you're at a pedestrian crossing it's just easier and you can take those things for granted you know there are people who never look, look up from their phones in other places because they can just rely on society to work in such a way because there are rules there are in the buildings literally they're embedded in the structures of that society and i really feel that on one hand yes organic cities and the way we are in india and we are already the 15 minute city is great but on the other hand there's a kind of an opportunism and there's a kind of a mean spiritedness and there's a constantly like a survival of the fittest situation has begun to really grate on me especially right now when we are in the throes of this thing that we keep calling development across the country mm-hmm. and we're really breaking the camel's back with this last straw if somebody's put out a petition saying hey sign this petition now because they're going to cut 10000 trees now sign it mm. we'll come there and beat you if you don't sign it if somebody is asking your municipality questions about whether something needs to be torn down whether something needs to be rebuilt whether a new road needs to be put in ask them where the public spaces are gone in your neighborhood do a 5 km limit see what gochi is going on in your own hood they're all growing up and once these spaces are gone they're gone you don't get them back somebody will build a building over there some uncle <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think i think the moral of the story for me is that i have to think about these things more deeply and not just when akshay kumar tells me to think about toilets and prem kathas or whatever nonsense <laughs> <laughs> it's real it's in my kitchen it's on the streets that i roam it impacts the people that i uh, live with and work for it's my life and i better have an opinion about it and remember remember ladies what's the thing with getting the proper toilets don't hydrate for a bit that is going to be our protest raise a stink <laughs> raise a stink amen on that note <laughs> bye, bye. <laughs> bye. thursday bitches is a fortnightly podcast presented and produced by junisia alves and purnima rao podcasting advice and support from the good people of audiomatic All views expressed are personal, very personal.